This show in no way means to diagnose or prescribe about any illness or condition that you hear represented in these conversations with people. They are merely just lived experience from the people that have been going through it and any tips or advice given are only basically based on their lived experience. If you're feeling ill or think that something's intuitively a little bit off, go see a practitioner, get some tests done, get the results and then just remember you are part of your healing and management. You don't need to hand the reins completely over to any practitioner. Be in the driver's seat of your health. Well, hello, I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. Welcome to another episode of Love Your Diagnosis, episode season four. We're in season four, episode one. I'm going to keep adding to episode to season three because it's the epilepsy particular one. But for now, we're going to go back into seasons where it's all a bit of a mix, a bit of a milkshake of diagnoses. Today, we've got Carice Laguerre and... This is more about her children than herself. She's, her kids, all four of them, have got what is known as airway-centred disorders, but they weren't diagnosed from the get-go with that. That came from many, many ruthless hours of research and putting pieces together and going through different doctors and meeting with the, the wrong people and then the right people because some of her kids got diagnosed with ADHD. But what it turned out to be was sleep-disordered breathing. I learned a lot about this through Carissa's experiences. She was a dental nurse or dental hygienist. So with the help of some of the dentists, she was understanding that the palate in her children's mouths potentially could have had some issues with um, du- dummies, pacify- I mean pacifiers, I think we call them dummies in Australia, um, pacifiers and even bottles and the birth canal and things like that, which actually alter the shape of the head and the palate, 
which leads to mouth breathing, which leads to crowded teeth, which leads to allergies all year round for her kids, hyperactivity, all normal kid stuff. However, when she looked more into it, it was things that were related to these airway-centred disorders. Let's have a bit of a listen to a lot more in-depth about how this occurred and where it all started and where it all ended. Very interesting stuff. Without any further ado, I give you Carice. This is not your diagnosis. This is your kids. Is that correct? My children. Yes. Okay. And these diagnoses are all centered around sleep issues. Sleep and breathing issues, yes. When did you first realize that this was even a thing that could be diagnosed? And what was the diagnosis? In 2014, that's when things started being presented to me because very much so I feel like as parents, we have like this kind of blinder on. Sometimes we don't see the things. So it began to be presented to me in 2014. In 2017, I think I really saw the full picture of the full impact and and how these things were connected. That's when I started my deep dive. Um, But it really was dynamic in that I have four children and it kind of manifested differently in all of them. So with my son, it's ADHD, which was really misdiagnosed and it was a sleep disorder that he had. And then it was my daughter who had every sleep issue under the sun. And that wound up being something that really, unfortunately, was very poorly handled by the medical community because everybody said she would grow out of it, which was a terrible response. And then my youngest two had airway centric disorders. So they had a lot of upper respiratory infections and we went through a whole lot of stuff, but they actually had tongue ties and and sleep issues. And so As a parent, you know, kids don't sleep for lots of reasons. When was the turning point where you went, this is not just about my kids not sleeping and this is something much deeper? When was the turning point for, um, I don't know if I had like a specific time because between 2014, when I started to come into awareness that there may have been something else into 2017, I was taking courses and I guess the pieces never fit all together for me to illuminate well enough. It was actually a provider telling me that one of my children could not breathe, that that was like the light switch in my head. Like, wow, I had no idea that this was a problem. One, with this particular child, because that child I didn't think had the most of problems out of all of my children. And then what were some of the symptoms you were seeing in, I guess, are we going to lump it all into one? We're going to lump it into one thing. I would lump it into airway centric disorders. What are some of the symptoms? Oh, so many. <laughs> um, the biggest ones that you'll find is mouth breathing. You'll find um, if you're going to talk about, are we just talking about children or do we will we dive into how this kind of manifests into adults later on? Well, we'll talk through it as in what you experience with your kids. Yeah. So then mouth breathing, we're going to look at um, crowded teeth. That's going to be a big thing. We're definitely going to see a lot of frequent congestion, allergies that are chronic because there's no such thing as year-long allergies. You shouldn't have allergic reactions all year long, but that's neither here nor, nor there. We'll get to that. Eventually, you're going to see issues with a lot of acid reflux. Acid reflux in children always, there's there's something. Hyperactivity, um, you'll get bedwetting. 
daytime uh, sleepiness in some older children, you're definitely going to see like a myriad of things, frequent ear and throat infections. So that all just sounds like normal kid stuff though. Like the Doesn't it? It definitely does. And that's the problem is that for over 10 years in my household, that's where the traditional medical community had us at. They'll grow out of it. This is common. Here's antibiotics. Here's this, here's that. And none of it was to solve the issue or to resolve to it or get to the root of why all these things are happening. Once we started getting deeper into the sleep route, it, it all became significantly better. We haven't had medications in my house for over five years. That's great. We'll unpack that in a sec. None of the generic treatments that were being offered to you that you were, that you were practicing were working. So was there a doctor or was there a person or what did you stumble across it in your research that made you go, oh, okay, here's a clue. This might be a sleep thing. It was a pediatric dentist. So a pediatric dentist was actually the one who illuminated everything for me. And yeah, tell us how. I was actually working. My primary licensure or profession is registered dental hygiene. I was actually working with this doctor. And as a pediatric dentist, we saw a lot of children. So I saw things that I, I saw in my own children, in these children that she would be working with and would do these, you know, airway centered oral appliances. Um, and so seeing the transformation, seeing the change and starting to see the shift in some of these kids and realizing that a lot of these things came together, she was really a motivating factor for me pursuing treatment for my children and then therefore subsequently helping others overcome these same issues. So with these children that were coming into the dentist also not sleeping properly, is that yes. The, is, here's the thing is that a lot of parents are not co-sleeping. And so most parents have no idea how their children are sleeping, right? So you'll know all, all the other things. You might notice that they mouth breathe. You might notice that maybe they're falling asleep in class or the exact opposite where they're hyperactive and they're inattentive or they have emotional or behavioral inabilities to really constrain that. But what you don't notice necessarily as the first thing is how they sleep unless you're very in tune with your children or you're co-sleeping or your rooms are not very far apart, you, you really won't know much about how your child is sleeping. What was the mm -hmm. first step that you took in order to try and address the, the airway centered disorder that your kids have? Step one it was to really go to an ENT, an ear, nose and throat doctor. So the ear, nose, throat doctor rules out any physiological. So anything that is actually there structurally that might be blocking or preventing nasal breathing because nasal, nasal breathing has to happen first. Secondarily, then after you've accomplished that, then you need to take the steps to deal with the function around everything. So that comes into play with myofunctional therapy, where you're dealing with the orofacial and oropharyngeal musculature. All of that supports the hard structures and the upper respiratory system. And so it's really focused on dealing with as much oral function as you can optimize. That way your upper respiratory system is working better, which then has a ripple effect for your sleep, for your digestion, for behavioral and cognitive um, function. When they were diagnosed with this, was there a training that needed to happen for your children to be able to breathe properly or was it medication that was given in order to assist their airways freeing up? 
So with myofunctional therapy, it is neuromuscular reeducation for all of the oral facial muscles. So you can imagine if you're dealing with the muscles and they're not functioning optimally, let's imagine it and liken it to a muscle where we're all very aware of Let's our abdominal muscles, right? So when they're very tight, when they're very toned, whether you are lying down, whether you are standing up, those muscles are there, they're prominent, they're, they're functioning, right? Nice and tight. When you have your muscles here in the oral pharynx or the pharyngeal area, and they are not tight and tone, it's kind of similar to having like a beer belly, right? You lie down and it just kind of flops everywhere. It's not as sturdy and stable. And what we want is stability in our respiratory system. Why? Because breathing is critical to life and breathing is going to be at the center of a lot of our function. Our brain requires a lot of oxygen. Our organs require a lot of oxygen. Were there secondary or other issues that were happening because the brain wasn't getting enough oxygen? Were there any seizures or were there was there attention span affected? Absolutely. Attention is almost always affected and affected primarily first in children. You'll start to see that, that inattentiveness. Um, when children are unable to breathe well, they really don't sleep well. And having poor sleep in children manifests differently than having poor sleep in adults. So with adults, we're tired, we get fatigued. With children, they're tired, they actually get a little wound up. They become more hyperactive. They have an inability to be able to self-soothe, to wind down, and to really relax. And so you'll find that, you know, they will see the repercussions of that be inattentiveness. They will see the hyperactivity. They will see the impulse or behavioral inability to really control those behaviors. And so they'll be more reactive. It's kind of like when you are uh, an adult and you have drank too much and you're drunk, it really impairs your cognitive responses and abilities. Same things happen in children. So it's like they have a little tiny drunk mind for lack of a better analogy. Is this airway centered disorder is that a genetic thing because if four of your children have it is it genetic or is it like how how do kids get born into the world with so much issues with that area of their body i love that question genetics do play a role however it's a lot of nature and nurture so we find that from the beginning of life. So when you are coming through the birthing canal, probably a little bit even before that, when you are developing in utero, but when you're coming through the birthing canal, if you come through the birthing canal, there is trauma associated with that. And almost always there is some malformations that happen with the skull and the head. And these are critical areas. It holds a lot of vital stuff, our brain, our upper respiratory system, you know, the mouth, the nose and so forth. So we have things that do start. Yes. Our genes are programmed to have us turn out a particular way, but that can be modified at any point in time by a lot of different early function things. Was there breastfeeding? Breastfeeding is really going to optimize oral function. It's going to get the tongue working in a way that you can't get it to work with bottle feeding. We need our tongue by age one to develop a mature swallow. If it doesn't and you retain a primitive swallow, then you're going to wind up with now the trajectory of your oral cavity and the growth of that be altered. And so that's going to impact because when we're looking at our oral cavity, 
The roof of our mouth is the floor of our nose. So when that's not able to grow nice and wide or, or big or that's altered, then we have a narrower floor of the nose. When we open our mouth, you should be able to see right into your throat. That's your oropharynx. That's right a part of your airway too, right? Our lower jaw is actually the front border of our airway. So if you were to shift your lower jaw forward and take a breath in through your nose, you'll feel you'll get more air because this is really the front portion of that upper respiratory system. So if we have some, some functions, like we don't have the ability to breastfeed or we're using too many pouches, we're not chewing when we're young because chewing is really a part of jaw development. It stimulates bone deposition. If we find that function is also working against genetics or working for genetics, and then we'll find that, yes, we will have issues with upper respiratory um, things. Can we pinpoint it to any one particular thing? No, but I will say that all my children were raised somewhat the same, right? <laughs> so, so was I using sippy cups or pacifiers or was there these types of things that changed the trajectory of their future oral development? Absolutely. And so it could be a very good combination of both genetics and anything that I've exposed them to. Yeah, mm -hmm. environmental. Wow, there's so many things that mothers just could feel so bad about, right? You know, like just oh, I, everything. <laughs> it's a, everything. Yeah, like that that the dirty. So this is another one. I mean, this is not something that you hear every day about how if they're not breastfed, you know, you, you hear about the colostrum and the and that connection side of it, but not the actual function of the mouth and the the airways because of breastfeeding and bottle feeding. Very interesting. You know how lots of foods and allergies can cause things with respiration. Is what your children experienced nothing to do with allergies? Is it all about the physical structure of their airwaves? I will tell you that with some of the chronic allergies or what can be diagnosed or misdiagnosed um, as a chronic allergy where year long we're having issues um, and then we're on like Claritin or Zyrtec or Singular or whatever, we're on these things. Because we're trying to decongest, we, we might believe that there's an allergic problem. But when there is chronic inflammation, there's a source. First signs of infection, the first sign of a problem is typically inflammation. Like that's what we see first. If your arm was to swell and get a little bigger, you would wonder, well, why is this happening? And you would go to pinpoint it. But when it's our upper respiratory tract or our sinuses are inflamed or they're constantly congested, then we won't ever look for a solution. We look for some sort of remedy for that, right? Where it would be an allergy medication. But what we should actually be doing is sourcing, where is this all stemming from? Allergies in the chronic sense, not I get allergies, you know, for certain months of the year, or I get allergies when I'm exposed to a certain um, stimulant. It's less of an allergy and more of the body's own internal warning signals telling you that something is wrong. Okay. So it sounds like you were quite an active role in this, in this whole process. Was it you that's been behind the diagnosis, the treatment and the management plan, or were there others that have had input into that? There's definitely a team of people. Um, I will say that I did lead the charge and I always advocate for a lot of parents to lead the charge and to advocate for their children, because if you're not fighting for them, no one else is going to on your behalf. And so with my children, especially with the ADHD, with my oldest son, I feel like I fought that 
diagnosis for a long time. Most of us don't want to accept that as parents. And we know that the only option is to medicate our children. And a lot of us don't want to do that either. And so I fought that diagnosis for a long time. And then we finally did wind up getting a pediatric neurologist, a specialist that we waited so long for to be able to see. And then we saw her and then it was a few years of alternating medications and nothing's working and we just couldn't figure it out together. And then when I came across a pediatric dentist that was kind of changing my perspective on things and I learned about the impact that sleep might have and how everything is kind of overlapping as far as the symptoms between sleep disorders in children and ADHD, I brought that to the pediatric neurologist and it, she essentially confirmed the issue. She, she said, well, you never told me that he wasn't getting good sleep. I was never asked whether or not he was getting good sleep. That was not something that was brought up. So in a lot of ways, I definitely had to lead the charge as far as, you know, getting and advocating for the best help we could possibly have. Have people whose kids have been diagnosed with ADHD found you and gone down the same route and also found that it's the sleep disorder that's causing the behavioral issues or the, the attention disorders? Yes. So it's happened more often than you'll, you would even imagine. It is something that is very commonly misdiagnosed. You, you find that ADHD is a symptom-based diagnosis. There is no blood test you can take. You can't get a CBCT or an MRI that's going to say, oh, there it is. We could see it right here on this film. There's the ADHD, right? It's not that way. You find it based on symptoms. You have this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, this symptom. Great. It's ADHD. Here's your medication. Um, whereas with a sleep disorder, there is a definitive way that you can test and or rule out a sleep disorder. You can get a polysomnograph or a sleep study done. You get the sleep study done and you might discover, oh yes, there is a sleep issue. Now that you can deal with in a much more holistic and natural way. It's not here's some medication. You're going to now have your child sleeping better. Well, then it's like we can take these active steps to work on their function, to work on their breathing, to work on their sleep hygiene. And in that way, be able to restore some of the um, adverse effects that would have occurred as a result of having that sleep disorder. And they very much mimic each other. There's such an overlap between ADHD and how it manifests and sleep disorders and how they manifest in children. That's fabulous that you found a way around that diagnosis or that misdiagnosis. It's a powerful empowering position to be in where you can kind of go to the medical world and go, Hey, actually, because that takes work. It's not just about, Oh, I love my kids. I only want the best for them. That actually takes work, intuitive, you know, processes, a thirst for research, I suppose. Now, my question is though, how do you get kids to realize that this is important for them? when they're just kids and that's like an adult concept that they're breathing and airways and their sleep is not the way it should be as a kid. Like that's concepts that they wouldn't really have to think about so much. What was your methods in kind of teaching them that this was important for their overall well-being and their future? With children, there's always a motivator. You just have to really get down to it. So when they're doing certain extracurricular activities or they're doing things like um, playing sports, 
well, do you want to be a better player in soccer? Do you want to be a better dancer in the recital? Do you want to be more in the front and less in the back? You've got to get better sleep so that you can show up and be your best on that field or at that dance recital or in dance practice. That way you can really perform your best. You can really thrive. A lot of times you'll find that they have issues that maybe they're not really verbalizing. They, they want to be better at this. They just have no idea why they're not as good at it, or they have no idea why they're so tired when they're trying to keep up with everybody else that's doing certain things that they just want to play on the playground, like all their other friends. And they don't want to be, you know, left out because they're not able to coordinate catching the ball at the right time because they're so tired. They just can't keep it up and keep it together or they're so congested that they just can't keep it up and keep it together. And so there's always a motivator. You just have to really dig into kids and what it is that they're doing or what it is that their goals are. A lot of times it's just to be like all the other kids. Sometimes it's to be better than all the other kids. Okay. So your children actually listened to that. What were some of the key exercises that worked? First and foremost, nasal hygiene, establishing a nasal hygiene routine. That is my like primary thing for all people is that we clean every other part of our body. We need to start cleaning out our nose and cleaning it really well. And so being able to get a saline rinse to do a nasal inhaler or to diffuse oils that would really help them to breathe optimally and open up those airways. That was number one, first thing that we had to get done. After that, it's really working on engaging a lot of those muscles. So if we're going to talk about exercises specifically at rest, our tongue is supposed to be up against the roof of our mouth. That helps to stimulate our autonomic nervous system. You're going to activate your vagus nerve there. You're going to stimulate the floor of the nose, which is going to help you with nasal breathing. And you're going to get that tongue up and out of the airway so that you can really take that breath that's coming from your nose and get as much as possible throughout the rest of the lower airway and so what's happening is that we're going to get our tongue and focus on getting our tongue up and connected to the roof of the mouth. And that's from the front all the way to the back where you can feel like your soft palate, you feel the back of the tongue suctioned up so that at rest, their tongue sits there resting. Love that. I just was doing that with my tongue when you were speaking. Fantastic. <laughs> what are their ages now? 18, 16, 12, and 7. And none of them have issues with sleep anymore? Not a single one. Good on your mum. That's kind of what, how we would say it in Australia. On ya, on your mum. If this isn't, this is just a kind of generic question, if this isn't picked up as a kid, are there many adults with these disorders that are struggling with fatigue that maybe think it's something else? If this is not picked up when you are young, yes, it does actually like compound as you get older. So you might have what you think is just fatigue. You might be unable to really function in the morning without any sort of stimulant because you're still so tired. We actually never catch up on sleep. So when you have a poor night of sleep, it just sort of drags into the next day and your, your whole uh, circadian rhythm, your, your whole body is just kind of off. Um, we find that later on in life, like much later on in life, it starts to affect memory and your ability to keep and retain memories. It starts to degrade the memories that you had. So there's a high connection with Alzheimer's and um, other degenerative memory diseases. And we definitely find 100% that digestion 
is always impacted. And so you'll, you'll find that there's a lot of issues with constipation and or um, gassiness where there's excessive gas and an inability to really clear out well. And that's due to, well, we call them airway-centered disorders. disorders. Now, as an adult, what can you do to address this? As an adult, it is not as easy because you are not as malleable as children are. Children are resilient. They bounce back very quickly. They still have growth potential. And so you can facilitate change in them and alter their growth trajectory to a point. With adult, it's more difficult because you have these patterns that have been there for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Is it impossible? No. Does it take longer? Yes. Is it um, a lot more taxing on you as a person to have to do certain types of exercises? And then if you're in a restrictive sort of structure, so let's say that tongue can't get up there because your roof of your mouth is too high or too narrow. Well, then that's when we're going to find ourselves, you know, having to look into potential options such as oral appliances or um, surgery in order to facilitate more space so that you can use these muscles the way they're intended. Right. We just all need to sing more at the top of our voices. Singing is a great workout for your pharyngeal muscle. Oh, good. Yeah. So you've turned this into a line of work now, haven't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So now I do myofunctional therapy, which helps to address the function of the orofacial and the pharyngeal muscles and how they all work to support that upper respiratory system and all the bony structures within. Can you ever get lazy with it, do you think? Like once you've retrained, is it something that like like all exercise, if you've dropped the ball, it just goes back to being lazy muscles? Can that happen with your work as well? It is a possibility. Part of what we do is to try to facilitate neuromuscular re-education, which means that you're now going to have new patterns new connections between the brain and how it uses those muscles. So that way, in everyday situations, as you're talking, you're able to use these muscles in a certain way and not overexert or compensate in certain ways. As you're swallowing, you're using them. So you're constantly exercising these muscles. Right. My final wrap-up question, you know, what tips, a little bit of advice maybe for parents that are noticing this in their children or whose kids have been diagnosed with ADHD, any tips you can give to these people so that they can act on something now instead of waiting? The first thing I would say is that if anything that we've talked about today resonates with you, then what I would do is I would set up a camera if you can in the room or Use your camera as you are, you know, going in their room at night to go check on your child. Record them sleeping. Be aware of how they are sleeping. What does their normal sleep pattern look like? Is their mouth open? Are they drooling? Are they tossing and turning? Um, Do they have a lot of grinding issues? Like what's going on with their sleep? If they are having what seems to be like non-rest or non-restorative sleep, and that's what you're catching in your videos, or that's what you're catching as you are watching them, bring that now to your primary care physician. Be mindful, be 100% mindful and continue to advocate for these kids because they deserve the absolute best. Oh, fantastic way to finish. Excellent tip. Thank you. Was there anything else you wanted to add? I mean, are your kids grateful that you picked this up for them? In the way that kids are, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, good answer. 
Thank mm. you so much for your time and, and sharing this knowledge with us all. Good luck changing the lives of a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to be here and I really appreciate you. I do believe that this is such a great way to help shape, you know, the future of a lot of other children. So it's a wonderful step in the ripple and I am very appreciative of you. Oh, thanks, darling. Okay, take care. If you would like to donate to the the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit the PayPal button. And if you've got a few loose coins, that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with and that you've researched and found some some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva. 